You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining us, as always, your friend and mine from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's Ben Folks. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing on this fine holiday? Martin Luther King Day. It is Martin Luther King Day. But well, we're not taking it off. No, heck no. Because we're here celebrating the legacy of Dr. King by recording our mixed martial arts podcast. He would want us to be here. At the time we normally record it. So either... Damn the man, Ben. Either we're really hard workers or enemies of civil rights. I guess it could be both. I, th- I think we're just out here sticking it to the man with our outlaw podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. That's what we're doing. I'm sure we're on some FBI watch lists. Oh, we're on several. Several FBI watch lists, I'm sure. Uh, we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We might as well just get going this week. Three rounds, as usual, in the for the co-main event podcast. In round number one, it turns out that Conor McGregor can even make a layup. Seriously, is there anything this guy can't do? And in round number two, Donald Cerrone won, but maybe he should have lost. But ultimately, it doesn't matter because he's just going to fight again in three weeks anyway. That's where we're at. And in round number three on Saturday from Stockholm, Sweden, Anthony Johnson fights Alexander Gustafsson to determine the next number one contender for UFC light heavyweight champion Hunter S. Thompson. All that plus Master Tweet Theater. Oh, we're not doing that. We're not doing Master Tweet Theater. No, Sir Nigel's still on assignment. I have it written in my notes. I have it written in my notes because I thought Sir Nigel was going to make it. I have but, it on good authority that Sir Nigel is currently hungover in a bar somewhere in Palm Springs, California. This can't be good. That magnificent bastard. Yeah. Just living the dream out there. All right. I, I deleted it. So now it says all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes for us from David Golden. He writes, Ron Stallings suffered a pretty nice cut at the hands of Uriah Hall last night, causing the ringside doctor to stop the bout. Maybe it was the placement. Maybe it was the gross flap of skin. Maybe it was the depth of the gash. Do you guys think this fight should have been continued? I feel like Stallings could have continued on. I feel like... I wouldn't even put this in my top 10 for bad UFC cuts, so I was a little surprised. Thoughts. Yeah, there's there a uh, there's an I in there, so I was wondering if it was supposed to be if. Yeah, there's some there's some weird placement of eyes. I noticed that. Uh, do you think that this tweet or this question was sent before the Twitter photo of Ron Stallings' eyebrow hanging half off his damn head I feel made almost, pub- was made public? almost certain that David Golden did not see that photo before asking this question. Because I, too, wondered about it. And, you know, the commentary were heard over and over again, you know, both from Joe Rogan and from Dana White afterwards, that, hey, if it was Las Vegas, that fight would have been stopped. They're used to seeing a man's face split open in Las Vegas. I don't know, um, and but I, then, yeah, once you see that cut, like, it makes sense because it did seem, though, didn't it? Like, the doctor came in. They're like, hey, doc, you want to have a look at the cut? And we're so used to this being, like, a part of the theater where, like, the doctor will come in. He'll look at a cut. He'll ask a couple questions that we all know what the answer is going to be. And, you know, maybe if he comes in a second time, then he'll stop it. Um, but this doctor came in, looked at the cut, and was immediately like, oh, no. Oh, God, no. No, you can't. You, you can't continue doing this. Are you insane? So it did seem like... uh like either he was looking in there and saw the man's thoughts or the doctor was too squeamish and it seemed like maybe MMA fans thinking that they're pretty hardcore decided it was the second one. And then we saw that photo. Uh, yeah, man, that was a huge cut, like directly over his eye. That was, that was not going to be anything good for Ron Stallings. Yeah. I have to admit that my initial response was sort of the same because, uh, the first picture I saw of it on, on social media was from a different angle and he had like that small cut under his eye. And at first I thought that was the offending cut. And I was like, Oh, that's not a, that's not a big cut at all. Like Dr. Chad Dundas would totally, yeah, that he could totally go on. And then I saw the second photo of half of his eyebrow just peeling off the front of his skull. And that gives you the indication why the doctor was so emphatic and didn't do the normal. MMA doctor thing where it's just it seems like it's killing him to stop the fight. This guy came in and he was about it. He was about it, about it. This thing was over as soon as he went in there. And when you saw the second photo of uh, Ron Stallings' eye, you knew why. Yeah. You know, it is kind of sad for uh, Uriah Hall 
because I feel like he is is kind of in the midst of this attempt at like a a little bit of a renaissance, right? Like he he got labeled as this guy who was gifted but didn't have the killer instinct and wasn't ready to go out there and and finish people. Uh, and felt like he didn't deserve that label, and it did seem like that label was applied to him, perhaps a little unfairly. He went out there, he beat up Chris Lieben in I, I, what I believe was Lieben's final fight before he called it quits. Um, won a decision over Tiago Santos, and it looked like you know he was a Ron Stallings was a late replacement here, like a really late replacement after other ones didn't work out, and it looked like he was en route to to smashing him and maybe making good impression as good as you can in, in a fight like that. And he kind of gets that opportunity stolen from him because of the cut stoppage. Yeah, and I thought we were going to be over the the Uriah Hall criticism kind of after he fought that fight with the the broken toe and the bone yeah. sticking through his toe. But I think I, like everyone else, kind of forgot about that, weirdly enough, until Joe Rogan brought it up in the post-fight uh, interview. Um, and I think you're right about Uriah Hall. Like, he was supposed to fight Costa Filippo at this thing, right? Uh, which, uh, and that would have been a nice win for him if he would have been able to to pull that off. Right. Uh, so he kind of gets screwed coming and going because he gets Ron Stallings as a late replacement who uh, is a guy uh, that you can't necessarily prove that much against. Like he's a guy you're supposed to beat. I'm, I'm not sure what the, the ceiling is there for Uriah Hall, although he was kind of handling him pretty easily. And maybe if he had done uh, one, some of his highlight real spinning shit, then we could be having a different conversation. But he does, the fight does get uh, short-circuited there a little bit. Um, I guess on the plus side for the guy, though, I mean, he's won three in a row, right? Uh, although dating all the way back to uh, December of 2013. And uh, he's he looks good great getting off the bus seems like uh you know if we discount these initial questions about his fighter's heart or whatever which i think was always a weird thing for us to do killer instinct uh, that's what we were uh, discounting uh he seems like he has a bright future so like hopefully like he he is able to put it together and and you know good on him for continuing to go after Costa Filippo in yeah. the post fight interview. <laughs> yeah, what did he say that Costa Filippo punked out? Is that what yeah, he said? He punked out but he was going he's going to beat him up in April instead. Which I mean, that kind of makes you feel like Uriah Hall knew that like he had missed out on an opportunity to kind of prove himself again, not only with the change of opponent, but also with the way the fight ended. Well, and hey, good for him for, you know, setting his sights on something, something that we can sink our teeth into and look forward to rather than just saying how he'll fight anyone the UFC puts in front of him. Yeah, get on there and accuse somebody of punking out, man. That'll that'll create some waves. I'm into it. Especially Costa Phillips. I can see that making him mad. Yeah. He seems Costa like Phillip, the kind of You dude. know, wherever he was, if he was watching that on TV, he stood up out of his seat. Yeah. I guarantee you at least that he much. He seems like the kind of dude who you cannot just accuse of punking out and no. he, like laughs it off. No, there will be consequences and repercussions or something like that. Next question this week comes from Dan Simons. He writes, so the slice man cometh again with the UFC signing CM Punk and Bellator signing Kimbo and his sweet ass beard. Is this something of a tacit admission by MMA's biggest promotions that they need to compromise a little on integrity to attract more mainstream fans discuss etc yes short answer short yes. An- short answer yes long answer uh i feel like this the signing of cm punk now has established this bizarre barometer that anything is possible right because like yeah i, I wake up in the morning i get an all caps I get a, an email from my editor at Bleacher Report with an all caps subject line that says Kimbo to Bellator. And I think to myself, how delightful. <laughs> and then I have to reconcile that that feeling. And I realize it's because once we are in the business of signing the CM Punks of the world, hell, man, you can do absolutely anything. Well, shit, compared to CM Punk, Kimbo Slice is a battle tested veteran, Chad. Yeah, absolutely. You I saw people online saying Kimbo Slice should fight CM Punk, and I was like, good God, are you trying to get Phil Brooks killed? I mean, you have uh, Kimbo Slice fight CM Punk, you might as well pull a bunch of salvage boats out there, you know, well, yeah, lock naturally. the gate, and have Adrian show up. <laughs> do it, Ferg. Do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, I do think, though, I guess my own thinking on this has changed over time the more I guess I've been involved in MMA and I feel like MMA is in a different era now. Like there was that that time, right? Where we were still on shaky footing with trying to break into the mainstream and these promises that it was going to be the biggest sport in the world and all this stuff. And I think now we found out about where MMA is, that it's a a niche sport in a lot of ways and that's okay, that it's not going to be everybody's thing. And that's perfectly fine. 
Um, but I think that the concern we used to have, like, hey, man, if you if you mess around with the integrity of this sport, you're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin it for everybody. You can't do these pride freak show fights over here. Uh, you'll just the, – the whole thing will burn down in front of your very eyes, man. And I think now we've learned, like, you know, that's not really the big fear anymore that it once was. Now the big fear is that – People will just gradually lose interest and drift away. That seems like somehow like the more realistic, yet like it'll die with a whimper instead of a bang kind of fear. Uh, and so I think if you do stuff like this where you get people to watch and hey man, maybe if they watch and they see people like by contrast that they see that, hey, this actually does require a lot of skill and you can see the difference. Um, like I don't, did you see Boyhood? The movie Boyhood? I have not. Uh, well there, I mean, it, there are some actors, lesser known actors in it, maybe not great actors in it. And then there are guys like Ethan Hawke and stuff. And it's like when you see like a real actor, like in a scene with maybe not a great established actor, it's like watching LeBron dunk on some high school kids. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is a talent. This is a craft. Uh, maybe it takes some of that. If CM Punk goes out there and gets his ass kicked and we learn like, hey. The, you do, you have to be a real professional in this, man. You can't just be some enthusiast who has had a couple of BJJ classes. I don't see how that's necessarily bad. Oh, well, yeah. And I think also it's a valid point to say that we have different expectations for the UFC than we do for Bellator because the UFC is the best that there is and it's the standard bearer for mixed martial arts and that's where the highest level of competition is supposed to be and like it or not I feel like the UFC has inherited this uh, uh, perception that it's the serious mixed martial arts promotion right and maybe some stuff that has happened very recently has undercut that but like I feel like Bellator just has a different reputation and like we have a different perception of Bellator uh, and it's it, it's starting to feel almost like maybe Bellator is like the fun kid brother or like the, the fun cousin of the UFC where it's like Kimbo signs with Bellator. And my first thought is, all right, yeah, we could get into some interesting stuff with Kimbo and Bellator. Uh, and then the, the UFC signs CM Punk. And my first thought is like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So it's like, it's just a different, we have different expectations. It's, it's not necessarily a level playing field. I realize that that's not fair, uh, but it's also kind of like the the burden that you must uh, accept if you're the UFC because, like, you're the Super Bowl of mixed martial arts. So Bellator is like the cousin that sneaks you some cigarettes in the garage for the first time. Exactly, yeah. And then you smoke too many of them and you puke. Yeah. Bellator is the, the cousin that talks you into shoplifting uh, and then pawns it all off on you when you get caught. The next question this week comes to us from Kent Carter. He writes, talk about how awesome Sunday night MMA is, but then talk about how not awesome Sunday night MMA that ends at 2.30 a.m. on Monday is. Uh, I got to be honest, Ben. I had a tough time with Sunday night MMA, and I don't know if it was just a the Lord's Day because it was the Lord's that's Day. That's right. Yeah. I'm not allowed to use technology on right. that day. Yeah. Uh, so I had to go out to the town square and listen to a man read the play-by-play off a ticker tape. That no, sounds delightful. I don't know if it was just because this particular Sunday night MMA card uh, did not necessarily deliver or if because it got late, but I felt like I was just battling a Sunday afternoon malaise the entire time. It was really hard for me to, to, uh, to get up any enthusiasm for this. Let me ask you this. Did you watch the American football playoff games that preceded this? I watched part of both and not the entirety of either. Okay. That was what I was wondering was how that was going to affect the uh, the American sports fan. Uh, because, you know, this NFL stuff is pretty damn popular. And a lot of people who are fight fans in the United States of America uh, are also huge NFL fans. And they're going to watch some playoff games. Uh, and then are, what are they going to have left in them? Especially, you know, if you're it's Sunday, you're hanging out with your boys, you're, you're throwing back a few, few Budweiser's, a few cold sodas. Uh, and then, you know, this, this fight card rolls around. And like you said, some of the prelims were not that spectacular. I mean, some of like Charles Rosso and Sean Chiriano, there, there's a fun fight. Sean O'Connell and Matt Van Buren, that was a good fight. Uh, by the time we got to uh, Lorenz Larkin, you know, he, he looked awesome. But there were some really slow moments in there and, of course, moments with just tons and tons of commercials like, you know, we're used to. So it made me wonder if you're like eight beers in and slowing down and you've been sitting there watching sports on TV for a long time, would you just get to a point where you say, oh, fuck it, just, I can't do this long before you ever get to the, the main show? Well, you know what I thought was a very strange decision was to kick off your main card 
at 6 p.m. or 8 p.m. in the one true time zone, 10 p.m. on the East Coast. Most people have been going hard all day, and you're going to kick off your main card with a Gleason T-Bow fight. I thought that was a <laughs> okay, strange decision because I just got home. My wife and I had gone to a movie. I was running around trying to get everything ready to get started with what this. What movie? Uh, Foxcatcher. Oh. Actually. Uh, and, uh, with your boy C. Tates. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, Steve Carell. Steve Carell and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, and I was trying to, uh, get ready to, to get, to get settled, get my computer out, start watching the main card of this thing. And then I saw Gleason Tebow and Norman Park were kicking it off. And I was like, Oh, I got time. I got, <laughs> I got 15 minutes to get this stuff going. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, but then it's a, I guess a, the question is like, okay, if you, if you were going to be in Boston that that day, you can't go head to head really with the Patriots game. Like that would just be foolishness. So they think that they're like, all right, we'll just scoop up all these football viewers by having the main card start basically right after the game ends. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it worked out quite the way they wanted it to. Uh, I'm sure we can second guess that stuff all the, all along. But like, and just in general, as far as Sunday night MMA goes, I mean. I don't know. I don't really have a problem with that. But then again, like I work a non-traditional job where it's not like I have to be in an office early on Monday morning. I mean, I could see like if I had to get up and like shower and look presentable and be somewhere at 9 a.m. ready to work on Monday morning, especially if I was on the East Coast uh, where you're asking me to stay up until midnight to watch your your mixed rules fighting event. I don't know if I'd be that enthusiastic about it. Yeah, as it was happening, I was, and it's kind of creeping later and later into the night. I did look at the clock and think that there was going to be some hungover people at work uh, today. Well, I guess not because if they if they have those regular kind of office jobs, then they probably have the day off work today. I guess that's the thinking. Do you have a favorite non-traditional MMA night? Because I, used, I feel like mine is Friday. Oh, I, really? Yeah, I feel like if if I can get into if I can get into some MMA on Friday, uh, it, it feels like I'm kicking off my weekend. And then uh, if you discount what our jobs are, which means I probably got to get up on Saturday and do some work for the thing that happened on Friday, uh, you got your whole weekend in front of you. Yeah. You well, know? you're assuming that we Friday would replace the Saturday show. No, yeah. No, I don't want both. Yeah. I'm saying if you could do one other night. You know what I used to like is when uh, the UFC would do like Wednesday night fight night events like yeah. this, like this caliber event would have been like a Wednesday night fight night event. And it would start a little earlier maybe uh, because people have to get to bed and get up and go to work the next day. But I used to kind of like that. I mean, as much as it would uh, kind of sometimes screw with my jujitsu schedule, it felt like a good like middle of the week, something to look forward to kind of thing. Wednesday night, you're not really – it's not like you're going up against Monday night football uh, during football season or anything. It, it seems like it's kind of a good middle of the week thing that uh, you can throw on there and kind of have it to yourself. Um, and then if you want to do one on Saturday, Wednesday can be a good opportunity to promote the thing that you're going to do on Saturday. Uh, it did kind of seem like this did in fact work out for the UFC though, if the ratings are to be believed, but I'm going to, I'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Last bit of uh, listener mail this week comes from Josh Montgomery. He writes, so Robbie Lawler wanted to wait to fight sometime around or after the end of May. Poor Rory took a fight a month earlier versus Lombard, thinking Hendricks was getting that fight. Now Hendricks takes an earlier, quote-unquote, stay-active type fight versus Brown. All the while, Gastelum and Woodley have a high-stakes fight, and let's not think for a second that if Diaz somehow beats Silva, that the UFC won't give him the next crack at Robbie and endlessly loop his KO from the prior fight. Oh yeah, there's the possible GSP return also, so my question is, assuming that Johnny Hendricks took the brown fight of his own volition did he royally fuck up it seems anything sh it seems anything short of beating the living fuck out of brown in Dallas would still not get him as close to that title shot as he was one week ago uh so that question took on a real soap opera quality yeah, I did. felt in the beginning like an ensemble cast right going well, there but I mean rightly so I think once you start explaining the the various ins and outs of these kinds of situations you realize how complex it can get which is one of the reasons I guess why I feel like I can totally understand what Johnny Hendricks is thinking here trying to just wait around for a promised title shot in the UFC is a gamble in and of itself. Like we can talk about like, Hey, you're, you're kind of rolling the dice by getting out there and fighting a tough opponent again, because maybe you win, maybe you lose, maybe you win and get hurt. Maybe you win and don't look that great. Uh, and maybe somebody else cuts in front of you in line with an awesome performance, but man, that can happen all the time anyway. Like they will totally yank your title shot. Even after they have promised it to you, we've seen that over and over again. You know, look at the example set by Robbie Lawler, who, after his fight with Johnny Hendricks, goes out there, wins a couple, and then comes back 
it rises up again with a full heart for the rematch, and no one can argue that he doesn't deserve to be there. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, it's a completely justifiable thing to say, I'm not going to wait around for a maybe possibly shot at the champ. Uh, I'm going to go out there, fight, make some money while I can. And hell, man, if you want to be champion, you better believe you can beat guys like Matt Brown, shouldn't you? Yeah, and I think it speaks to Johnny Hendricks' mindset, kind of the way that he looks at the sport and the way that he feels like he needs to motivate himself uh, to do well in the sport. I think that the time off that he had to take after the first fight against Robbie Lawler and he had to have bicep surgery after that, I think that that uh, was not easy for him, didn't sit well with him. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy uh, who can just handle downtime and kind of like enjoy the free time. It seems like he's the kind of guy who needs to have something going. Uh, You're saying he's not like painting self-portraits like George Bush and stuff and keeping his mind busy in that time? Yeah, it seemed like he was raring to get going as soon as they gave him uh, the medical clearance. I talked to him before the second Lawler fight was... was uh, confirmed but we kind of knew that it was coming and he was like doing a test camp to to test out his surgically repaired bicep uh and also he told me that you know and i don't know if this is just like fighter talk or whatever but like that the even when he was champion the way that he thought of it was he would pretend that he was not the champion and that every fight was sort of like his first fight in the ufc and he would feel like that he needed to go out there and uh and like make a statement and prove himself. So, you know, that could play into it too, that he just doesn't want to have the, have any more downtime. And I think his particular view on things is to just treat every fight like it's his UFC, UFC debut. And they're, you know, because of that, it just might not matter to him. Like he, he wants to fight them all kind of, uh, uh, Donald Cerrone style. And so he's just going to fight Matt Brown because, you know, why not? Well, he also uh, probably wants to make some damn money, does he not? I mean, sitting out all that time, like you mentioned, you're not getting paid to fight during that time. You, you, then you go and you fight uh, and you lose against Robbie Lawler, so you take home half the paycheck. Then what, you were going to sit around and wait for the opportunity to do it again? No, man, go out there against somebody like Matt Brown, see if you can't knock him out, get yourself a bonus, and uh, pad the bank account a little bit. That makes sense to me. We got another listener mail email this week, sort of on this same talk, but topic, but just sort of about how uh, the idea that if Nick Diaz beats Anderson Silva in their, uh, you know, quote unquote, super fight or whatever it is that the UFC would try to set up a rematch with Robbie Lawler. Uh, I had not fully thought that through before we got these emails. But then once I saw that on the page, I was like, oh, that's absolutely what they would do. And, and like. Did you think that you makes don't, all the sense in the world? Did you not think it through because you've already written off the notion that Nick Diaz could beat Anderson Silva? Yes, <laughs> I figured. I figured that's what you would be thinking. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to our website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out on Friday mornings to fill you in on all the happenings in the wild and woolly mixed martial arts world from Monday to Monday when when uh, we record the podcast. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, maybe the most interesting thing that happened all night long at UFC Fight Night 59 was after Conor McGregor had dispensed with Dennis Seaver and he hopped over the cage and jumped down into the crowd uh, to get all up in Jose Aldo's face. And Jose Aldo just laughed at him with an expression on his face that said, oh, really, fool. I do want to talk about that. Let's start off, though, with talking about the actual fight between Conor McGregor and Dennis Seaver. Uh, I guess it went about like we, everybody else, and the odds makers thought it would, uh, which seemed like kind of a bummer to me because I feel like if you're going to put a guy into a stepping stone fight that you obviously want him to win and that he obviously should win, it's kind of only interesting if he loses, right? Like uh, Conor McGregor went out there and took care of Dennis Seaver the way we all thought he would. We come out the back end, I don't know that we necessarily learned anything. 
I mean, I don't say we learned nothing. I think that uh, it's easy to forget that this dude can fight. Like, it seems, like you said, it seems like the UFC is so firmly and unapologetically behind him that there's a tendency to think, like, okay, he's inflated, like he's a, he's a paper tiger, basically. They've just hyped him up uh, because they've realized that there's a profit in it for them. But, like, and they have done that, but they... They've hyped up something that's actually there. Like the dude can fight. You know, we can say all we want about Dennis Seaver. I mean, obviously, it's not like uh, he hasn't been put away by some other dudes fairly quickly, uh, mostly light- lightweights. I and mean, this is a, a featherweight fight, so there is that. But he looked good against Dennis Seaver. I mean, Seaver got a couple takedowns and uh, he popped right back up. He still has that that straight left that comes right down the pipe where he just kind of covers up your lead hand with his lead hand and, and clocks you with it. I mean, he he did look like when you watch him just moving around the cage, you have to admit, like for a guy of his experience and especially his UFC experience, he looks remarkably comfortable in there. Like he just knows that he's there to win and that the other guy's there to get beat up. Um, like I, I don't I think that when you see him in action, it is a good reminder that like he's it's not all made out of hot air like there's something there. The UFC has, has seen something real in him, and then they're just blowing it up beyond all proportion for what he's accomplished so far. But then I think that it's a, the perfect kind of thing uh, to lead up to a fight like with Jose Aldo because you got this point now where the people who aren't in the Conor McGregor camp are going to say, you haven't beaten anybody. You, you've beaten a bunch of mid-tier guys, and Jose Aldo is going to truck you. Uh, and they will gladly pay in the hopes of seeing that. And then the people who are Conor McGregor fans were like, you know, this is a fighter of destiny and the Irish Muhammad Ali and whatever else ridiculous stuff you want to say are like, well, obviously I'm going to pay to watch my dude capture the UFC featherweight championship. So, I mean, either way, it doesn't matter where you stand on this one. I feel like everybody wants to see this fight. So it's good for everybody. It's definitely good for Jose Aldo because he couldn't do this shit on his own. Yeah, I don't think that there's anything to dislike about Conor McGregor himself at this point. Like, as you said, he's passed every test that they've given him with flying colors. Like, clearly he's got uh, extremely uh, effective mobility inside the cage, and he's got kind of a... a quirky southpaw striking style that that uh has been super effective so far and uh god damn it it looks like he hits super hard because when he hits people uh it's like it changes their whole mind about what's happening yeah uh but i think that the valid question to ask or the valid point to make maybe about conor mcgregor is that we still don't really have any idea how good he is he's good enough to beat these guys that he's been in the cage with but I mean, I think the, the, the point that you can find fault with is the UFC's treatment of Conor McGregor that you alluded to, to, and that's that it does feel like it has given him a, several fights right in a row that were kind of tailor-made for him to win. Obviously, this one was a big showcase for him in the main event on Fox Sports 1 at the end of this day that they did a ton of promotion all day long uh, on the NFL, uh, and he goes out there and gets it done. But from a promotional standpoint, I feel like it's very boxing. This whole yeah, thing okay, with Conor McGregor has been very boxing, uh, setting him up with capital letter O opponents that you know he can beat. Like It seems like the UFC is very uh, consciously drawing lines between Conor McGregor and guys like uh, Muhammad Ali, even though the the actual quote of Lorenzo Fertitta saying that was almost sort of apologetic, like he didn't really want to say it. Uh, and then in the pre-fight hype package, they, they uh, compared him to Sugar Ray Leonard and somebody else who'd like... They compared him to a couple of boxers where Gandhi. Yes. They said he would live to be a thousand years old in the afterlife. He would take his place atop an ivory throne and rule with a benevolent glory. Well, that, uh, that sounds reasonable. And that's the kind of thing that frankly, from a, like a promotional and a fight booking standpoint, doesn't do anything for me. Like that's not what I, why I like MMA. Those aren't the kind of fights that I like to see. So while Conor McGregor has done everything that's been asked of him and he seems like a genuinely interesting, uh, a genuinely good hearted, frankly, when he's in real person mode and not in, uh, you know, fight promotional mode, seems like a good hearted dude, a uh, guy with a good story. Uh, but like the way that he's kind of being propped up, Right now, I understand why it would rub people the wrong way. Yeah, and you know what I keep thinking about uh, that quote from Lorenzo Fertitta uh, that we had in, in a junkie story that I think John Morgan wrote uh, for us, where uh, being asked about the the promotional angle that the UFC was taking, right. he was saying we kind of did that just to piss you guys off, which sounds like. 
I'm not sure I believe you no, at that's first not true. Uh, because you could just say that about anything, but it did seem to have that effect, which I don't know is necessarily a bad thing. Like, I think that there is a, a promotional angle to be played there where it's clearly like, okay, the UFC wants this guy to win. Um, and the people, especially the hardcore fans who are hardcore enough to pick up on that and to see it as a problem, uh, are going to maybe jump on the, the, the approach of like, hey, that makes me want to see the golden boy get trashed just to have somebody else uh, come in there and absolutely school him because as while you can set him up with certain opponents and you can set him up with these great hype packages, you can't go in there and help him out against Jose Aldo. It's not pro wrestling. Like The guy's still going to have to get in there and sink or swim on his own, and that's going to be enjoyable to watch if you believe that he is you know just all hype. So I think that that still works. I mean, even if the UFC is doing it accidentally or or if they are doing it on purpose, I think that you can work with that. Because I don't know if anybody is seeing that, like, hey, the UFC is clearly behind this Conor McGregor guy. They obviously want him to win. Uh, and it's just going to be like, well, screw that. I'm done watching. I'm not going to watch when that guy fights Jose Aldo. Yes, you're going to watch. Like, you're more likely to watch because you hope and believe that, you know, truth will win out there. You're You're – what you think is the, the, the true uh, essence of that matchup you think is going to show up in a bloody, violent fashion. So, yeah, you're going to want to see that. Yeah, it feels like all of this weird uh, promotional stuff has just sort of been like the, the, uh, the introduction to the actual meal. And that's the meal is about to happen. Like, you could say that all of the stuff that Conor McGregor has done before this uh, was kind of meaningless. Uh, but, like, he gets in there with Jose Aldo. You're right. That's like... That there's no way that you come out of that, you know, without establishing some meaning. Either Conor McGregor gets starched by the best featherweight anyone's ever seen, or maybe Conor McGregor is the best featherweight anyone's ever seen. It could, it could go either way. Let's talk a little bit about that fight since I don't necessarily know that there's any, uh, cogent points to be made anymore about the, the Seaver fight. Uh, in a way, it's another weird fight for Conor McGregor because, it's a guy who's going to stand up with him. It's a guy that's probably going to play to Conor McGregor's strengths. Uh, yet at the same time, when you look at the way Conor McGregor fights, I can't uh, get past the idea that Jose Aldo is going to obliterate that lead leg uh, with his vicious low kicks. And in the last two fights, you know, both against uh, Dennis Seaver and in the fight previous to that <clears throat> against against Dustin Poirier, like McGregor's gotten punched in the face, man. Like he he has his head up high. He's kind of, uh, you know, flying that chin out there. And both of his most recent uh, opponents have have hit him a couple of times. So, like, I don't know, man, it's if I think if you get hit by Jose Aldo, maybe it's a different deal. Maybe it is. And I, I mean, I think that that's what. The, to me, that's always the most interesting thing about the fight game, right? Is because there's so much string pulling and screwing around with uh, promotional angles and matchups and everything beforehand. And then, you know, we're gonna we're gonna learn something once they actually get in the cage and everybody else has to get the hell out. And I think that that's what's going to be super interesting about that fight. I mean, you asked me to pick it right now. I'm picking Jose Aldo. There's just no way I can go against Jose Aldo in that matchup. Uh, but I do think that uh, you know McGregor is better than a lot of people want to believe he is. Uh, maybe not as good as some other people want to believe he is. And I think that's fine. I think that's one of the things that makes for a big title fight. And Jose Aldo needs this, you know, because I think that it's kind of a crime how good. Jose Aldo has been and how little attention he's gotten. I mean, you've heard him complain about his money, that kind of stuff. But, you know, the biggest fights he's had so far have been this, you know, probably Uriah Faber and this uh, rivalry with Chad Mendez. I mean, certainly the, the fight with Chad Mendez was, as far as the actual fight, you know, the, the best thing that's happened for him so far. But you wonder how many people really saw that, that didn't already know how good he was. And so this is the opportunity for him to have somebody who can go out there and do that stuff, that, that hyping up and shouting into the megaphone stuff that he won't do or can't do himself. Uh, and then he's going to bring all that attention into the cage. And if Jose Aldo is really, you know, the guy we think he is, then, uh, you know, he comes out better for that. Can you imagine how mad it would make you if you were Jose Aldo and you have been the man for years? And as Dana White said in a, in a kind of a brilliant promotional twist about Dennis Seaver leading up to this fight. You feel like you've been shit on not only by Conor McGregor, but shit on by the UFC. 
uh, which I thought was brilliant because he was talking about Dennis Seaver. And I was like, well, you did that. Yeah, like yeah. you made up the, this advertising campaign, but like if you're Jose Aldo and like you've publicly clashed with the UFC, like you've had all these injuries, you haven't really been like the, uh, the promotional juggernaut that, that I thought he was going to be, that I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. And here comes 26 year old Conor McGregor with his, the gorilla tattoo on his chest and his Suits Irish bought by Uncle Frank and calling Uncle Frank Uncle Frank on Twitter. <laughs> I assume that a lot of established UFC featherweights feel this way, but if you're Jose Aldo, it's got to kind of burn your ass a little bit, right? Even though you know you're going to make a lot of money fighting him. Yeah, I would think that it may it maybe burns your ass, but also like gives you just a little bit extra motivation to go out there and destroy the guy that the UFC loves so much. Especially if you feel like you've clashed with the UFC and you feel disrespected by them, right? Like, go out there and uh, take their dude who they love so much and split his head wide open, and then we'll see. I, I think that that's a, a great thing for the UFC to to work with leading up to this fight. At this point, man, just everybody... Stay fucking healthy. Don't get on any motorcycles. Don't go dicking around. Just no rock climbing and shit like that. Everybody kind of take it easy in the gym for a little while. Let's just not ruin this. Yeah, that is the elephant in the room. Anytime you talk about uh, Jose Aldo as if he's going to actually make it to the cage. Um, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll move on to round number two. Uh, I alluded to it earlier in the show so i might as well just start that the ufc scored a 1.7 overnight rating for fight night 59 i have no idea what that means exactly but fox sports contends that if it holds up it will be the most watched ufc event on fox sports one uh so i guess my are you fucking kidding me goes out to us because we made a lot of mockery of the ufc for scheduling this thing on sat on sunday uh we thought it was going to go up up head-to-head with the AFC Championship game. It did not. As you started to watch the games on Sunday and you saw all of the promotion that Fox was able to do uh, during those games, I think I kind of started to get the idea that maybe this was going to work out for them. And then it turns out they scored uh, an awfully nice rating, I guess, if, if, you can be, be believe, if it can be believed. So uh, maybe we were wrong and they were right. So are you fucking kidding me, us? Are you fucking kidding me, us? Well, Jed, my are you fucking kidding me? I know you probably missed this because you're out with your wife living a life like a person. But on the prelims, Cahal Pendred won a unanimous decision over Sean Spencer, including two scores of 30-27, a clean sweep, according to the judges. Now, I know you didn't see the fight, but Chad, a lot of that time he spent blocking punches with his damn face. Uh, did not look particularly good in that fight. You know, had some takedowns, a couple submission attempts that didn't really go anywhere. Uh, it seemed like obviously Sean Spencer was going to win that decision. And then it's a unanimous one for Cahal Pendred. 30-27s even. Are you fucking kidding me? What the hell fight were you watching? This is, this is the kind of thing that I thought that we should be passed by now in MMA when it comes to judging. Cause, Man, we can't keep having you people decide how this sport unfolds and who goes home with half a paycheck and a loss on their record. You're clearly not up to the task, MMA judges. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? I did watch it this morning. It was a weird decision. But in 2015, I'm just not going to get too fired up about crazy decisions on prelim fights. You know what? I You know, wish a motherfucker would try to come at me with some octagon control as an explanation for this one. Wish a motherfucker would. You don't even know what that means. It's just a (laughs) phrase you throw around when you don't know what the hell happened. Well, speaking of weird judges' decisions, we are going to get into Benson Henderson against Donald Cerrone next. That happens in round two, and it starts right now. Well, Chad, as the horn sounded to end the third round in the fight between Donald Cerrone and Benson Henderson, it looked like we had ourselves another Benson Henderson fight. You know, he went over, did his usual thing where he yells at the media, uh, then went there and, and, and stood before us all as the scores were read. 
uh, a bunch of close scores, 29-28s across the board, and stood there kind of nodding his head as if to say, well, I thought I wanted a little more convincingly, but hey, you know, Bendo will take that. Benson Henderson's going to take this, takes his decision all the way. And then we hear Donald Cerrone's name called, and they look on Benson Henderson's face. It was like the ghosts of all those former split decision victories came back to haunt him, and he suddenly knew the empty feeling in the pit of his stomach that Gilbert Melendez and a bunch of other people have felt. Chad, your take on this? I mean, I can't, I can't say it was a robbery or anything, but it did seem like a lot of those th- those fights that Benson Henderson has won. This this time it went against him. Yeah, it was like some weird Freaky Friday stuff, man. It was like Donald Cerrone and Benson Henderson switched bodies or something because Benson Henderson gets screwed over on a uh, on a close judge's decision. Uh, Donald Cerrone wins the close judge's decision, and then Benson Henderson gets on the mic talking about how he wants to fight next weekend. So like it was a real role reversal for both of these guys. But you know, I think you were right. Uh, I don't think it was a robbery by any stretch of the imagination. It also wasn't a clear-cut win for Cowboy, of course. Uh, and it was a fight that was, uh, I think it was the most competitive and, dare I say, professional fight on the on the Fox uh, main card, the Fox Sports 1 main card. But at the same time, maybe we kind of blew it up a little bit too much in our minds. Uh, it didn't turn out to be the five-star classic that we all thought that, that it could be, so it you know, it let down a little bit in that there just weren't any highlight reel, uh, you know, finishes or, uh, or or huge swings in momentum or anything like that. But, like, it was a solid fight. I thought it was a fun fight to watch. And uh, a little bit of controversy at the end maybe doesn't hurt anything moving forward. I mean... I don't know that we're going to do Donald Cerrone, Benson Henderson four, but yeah. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think you mentioned that you know it wasn't exactly the crackerjack that a lot of us were expecting or hoping for? Do you think that that had to do with the friendship between the two guys? They we made an awful lot uh, on Fight Week of the kind of bromance between them. You know, they're they're hugging it out and everything, and smoking and joking uh, before the fight. And then they get in there, and it kind of resembled a spirited sparring session. Uh, it didn't quite escalate to that next level. Even Greg Jackson, we hear him in the corner uh, asking Donald Cerrone to, to kick it into second gear. It just seemed like it didn't quite get to that level. Uh, you know, not a lot of fuck you kicks there from Donald Cerrone on this one. And he kind of mentioned afterwards that it seemed like a combination of, you know, maybe a little bit of physical wear and tear from just having fought two weeks ago, but also a little bit of fellow feeling that he might have had for Benson Henderson. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like you said, Cowboy did sort of assert after the fight was over that he had a hard time getting up to fight Ben Henderson. Um, if I had to guess though, I might like put the blame more squarely on the fact that Cerrone came into this fight on short notice, didn't particularly have a lot of time to game plan for Benson Henderson and Benson Henderson's fighting style is kind of awkward and to be elusive and hard to hit. And it seems like he suckers guys into that kind of fight where, uh, you know, there just aren't a ton of, of flat footed, heavy handed exchanges. It's just all sort of like, uh, uh, you know, kind of hunt and peck the whole time. That's sort of where he, uh, lives and dies, I guess you could say. Uh, and then he comes out with, uh, uh, with a, a, I guess it was a game plan, an attack strategy that, that really seemed to target Cerrone's legs and body. And he was using that like front sidekick to the leg a ton, uh, which I think maybe befuddled Cerrone a little bit because he didn't yeah. seem to expect that. Well, and he so also I, seemed like that, that seemed to me to be setting like that was the A part to set up for a B, like a, some big moment where, cause it seemed like even Cerrone when he was being kicked with that was like, all right, obviously he's not just trying to do this. He's trying to do this so that he can do whatever the next thing in his, his plan is. And I didn't feel like we ever saw the next thing. Yeah. Like we never got to B. We never got yeah. to part B there. Uh, yeah, that, that could, could very well be true. It could have been something that, that, uh, Henderson was working on for Eddie Alvarez that, uh, just kind of carried over to, to the Donald Cerrone fight. Um, but yeah, I think it, it turned out to be kind of a typical Benson Henderson fight. And like we said, Cerrone didn't have very much time to prepare. I think got a little befuddled by the attack style of, of Ben Henderson. Cause I think he thought Ben Henderson would try to take him down a little bit more than he did. There's another uh, role reversal. It's Donald Cerrone. He's going for the takedown. Yeah, so it just turned out to be like kind of a weird fight. And I don't think a bad fight by any stretch of the imagination, but just like a fight that didn't play out the way we, or maybe the guys in it thought that it would. Yeah. Here's a, a thing that I was thinking about afterwards 
in a weird way, I feel like Benson Henderson is way more likable uh, when he seems to be like the awkwardly sincere victim of uh, mild injustice uh, as opposed to when he seems like, oh, and I mean, maybe it's not surprising. Like it's hard to be likable when like you won't keep winning decisions that people don't think you deserve to win. And then, you know, you're, you're yelling at the media and then in one breath and then thanking Christ who you can do all things through whom, whatever uh, in the next one. So I think that this one, like when he, when he got on the mic there and just shouted the entire time, you could see, like, I feel like he's one of those guys where it's in moments of defeat and, like, colossal disappointment that he seems, like, the most relatable. Uh It's hard, I guess, at least for me, to kind of, when he's victorious, it seems, like, hard to get behind him. But, like, I think about this moment, like, where he's talking to Joe Rogan and you you want to just put your arms around the guy and hug him because you can see, like, he's... He's ch- kind of channeling this anger and disappointment into, into something else. And then I'm reminded of that last WEC fight where he lost the title to Anthony Pettis, uh, got clocked upside the head by the Showtime kick, uh, lost that decision. And, you know, with it, it was supposed to be that the winner, that last standing WC, WEC lightweight champion was supposed to get an immediate title shot in the UFC. It didn't work out that way, but it seemed like he had lost an awful lot that night. And I was there and I remember seeing him at the press conference where before the press conference started even, or while other people were talking, you could see it in his face where he was thinking about what had just happened and what, you know, what he had lost. And you could see that I'm about to cry face come up. And then you could see him push it, just, just push it way down. And like, he, no, I'm not going to cry in front of you assholes. And it seemed like that was when he was the most likable, the most relatable. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like maybe stuff like that is in a way good for him. Like it maybe kind of wipes the slate clean a little bit of all those other decisions people felt like he didn't deserve to win. Yeah, and this is a situation that he's not used to being in, right? This is the first time in his career that that he's lost two fights in a row. Uh He got a taste of his own medicine, I guess, in terms of losing a decision that he probably thought he was going to win. Uh, and it did seem like he was about to go cry outside the octagon as soon as that, uh, interview got over. I think that it's naturally easier to sympathize with the guy who loses a decision that you think he should have won than to sympathize with a guy who wins a decision you think he should have lost. Uh, it will be interesting, I guess, to see how people respond to Ben Henderson moving forward just because we already thought it was going to be a long road for him to get back into a fight against Anthony Pettis. Uh, and then when you, you know, he gets knocked out by, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, that made it a little bit more difficult. And now to suffer this loss to, to Cowboy Cerrone, uh, you'd think like has him take an, another step back, even if, uh, the, the loss itself was maybe a little bit unjustified. Uh, the thing that really struck me in this fight was this notion that, that I came upon that Donald Cerrone has fought so much and so often that it's almost like he's fought himself out of context in the lightweight division (laughs) because he's won seven fights in a row. Now, uh, this one was, was, you know, a controversial decision. Uh, but you know, he gets this win against Ben Henderson, who's his friend and like kind of a frequent rival. This is their third fight together. Now they're one and two. This is his first win. But I was like, man, how do you even contextualize this win? How do you even put this win in perspective for, for Donald Cerrone? Because I don't want to say that it means nothing, but like, He's almost a story unto himself now in yeah. the lightweight division. Like he's not necessarily even in the title hunt because we know that the next title shot is going to go to Dos Anjos, uh, and it'll be, you know, mid to late summer before the winner of that fight is ready to go again, assuming the guy stays healthy and Cerrone could fight two or three times before then. So it's like, I don't even know how to put this victory in perspective. It's like Donald Cerrone. It's almost like he's he's the honorary like intercontinental champion or something. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, he's well, not even in the title hunt, and that's like that's okay. He yeah, doesn't he, need to be in the title. Yeah, hunt. he he seems to be after something different. I mean, it seems like he's probably going to fight Nurmi, uh, which a, a lot of people made the point before this fight. Like, that's basically already where he was, right? Like, he was already at after beating Miles Jury, he was already at the level where like you could match him up against Nurmi and say winner of this gets a title shot. So didn't really benefit him necessarily in that but i think like you're right his disregard for that as like a motivating factor uh puts him in a different category uh i also feel like this is something uh you know last week i I talked to chris lieben about that experience of fighting twice in in two weeks and one of the things he said was that he kind of regretted the extent to which 
the second fight overshadowed the first one for him. Like, and some of that was because of how the fights played out. Like when he fought, uh, Aaron Simpson, at first, he was like, oh, you know, I had a full training camp. I had a really good game plan. I thought I fought really well uh, to negate his strengths and to win that fight. People didn't think I was going to win it, and I won it, and I was really proud of myself for how I won it. And then two weeks later, he fights Akiyama, and it's just a wild brawl, which was awesome, like awesome to watch, and people really got hyped up over it and everything. But he says, you know, people ne- people just totally forgot about the fight he won before that and because they're so close together. And I think it could be the same thing for Donald Cerrone here because of the controversial decision, uh, because of everything and the way it went down. Uh, people are more likely to remember like, hey, you got one against Benson Henderson that we don't know that you necessarily deserve. And they just might completely forget, you know, on accident, genuine accident, that you also beat Miles Jury like where you kind of took on this young up and comer. And put him in his place and looked kind of awesome doing it. So, like, I think that, you know, th- like you said, he is in, like, his own Donald Cerrone context. But then, I don't know, man. He's the guy fighting to put gas in his snowmobiles so we can do jet plane stunts. Maybe that's only fitting. Yeah, it's weird because I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of another guy who is still in his fighting prime who's in that kind of situation where uh it just seems like he's doing his own thing and is just not He's doing him he will give lip service to the idea that he wants to be the champion but like uh in practice it seems like he doesn't care as much as he does about like you know getting paid big big checks to fund his lifestyle and and staying active as a fighter and it like uh it just makes him seem like a very singular guy in that division uh which i guess is a great place for him to be because everyone loves him for it yeah Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, not to be totally overshadowed by the fact that the UFC light heavyweight champion seems to like that candy cane, we've got an interesting and competitive number one contender fight coming up this weekend from an enormous, what is it, soccer stadium over there in Stockholm, Sweden? Wikipedia tells me they also uh, host equestrian events. Interesting. Yeah. Anthony Johnson and hometown hero Alexander Gustafson are going to do the damn thing, we think, in front of literally tens of thousands of fans to decide who will be the number one contender for John Jones, we think, once he gets this whole uh, cocaine non-addiction thing uh, sorted out. Uh, this seems like a pretty awesome fight, and uh, it's going to air on the Fox Network on, on Saturday night. Um Let's just kick it open, man. How's this go down? You know, uh, I was curious on this one because I wondered if the the location of the bout, like how much that would affect the betting odds. Because you tell me Alexander Gustafsson and Anthony Johnson, I give the edge to Gustafsson. You tell me it's going to go down in Sweden, I give a slightly bigger edge to, to Alexander Gustafsson. I mean, there's going to be a significant hometown advantage there. I was there when he fought... Uh, Tiago Silva in Stockholm in the in the smaller Globe Arena, which was an awesome arena to see a fight in, and the Swedes get up for that shit. Uh, you know, every time Alexander Gustafsson lands a punch, you're going to hear about it from the Swedish fans. If that thing goes to decision, there's no way that kind of thing doesn't affect the judges in a close fight. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I do have to give the edge to, to Gustafson here. And doesn't it seem like that's kind of what everybody wants? I mean, we'll live with it, right? Like if, if Anthony Johnson wins, especially if he wins like decisively, then everybody will be like, well, Anthony Johnson's pretty fucking awesome. Here we go. Uh, Johnson and Jones, it seems it's at least a fresh pairing and you can kind of get excited for it. But after, you know, the fight Gustafson put on Jones the first time, if he goes out there, looks really good against Anthony Johnson to solidify his number one contender standing, especially after Jones beat Cormier and then said Gustafson was still the toughest fight he's ever had. I feel like that's going to be the big one. That's kind of what everybody's hoping for, right? Yeah, it would certainly put to the test the, uh, uh, the, the, I guess, PR line out of the Jones camp coming out of the Gustafson fight that Jones didn't take that fight seriously, that maybe he was, uh, you stopped the presses partying a little bit during the lead up to that fight. Maybe his, uh, 
his uh, attentions at least were distracted. Um, and and you by know, that candy cane, by something, I, you know, maybe I'm, I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but like certainly the line coming out of that camp was that he didn't train his hardest for Alexander Gustafson, and then uh, kind of paid for it in terms of almost losing his title and having to have a miraculous comeback just to walk out with the victory. Um, so I think a lot of people do want to see a rematch there, um, not only because the first fight was so awesome, but just, you know, just to see uh, how John Jones would fare, I guess, in it. And now you got this totally additional new layer of drama uh, swirling around the champion. But, it, you know, for this particular fight, it almost seems to me like as long as you get a decisive outcome, there's almost no bad uh, you know, the, there's no bad outcome here because, like you said, Anthony Johnson has been a goddamn wrecking machine since coming back to the UFC and deciding that he's not going to kill himself going down to 185 and 170 anymore. He's been uh, sort of unstoppable in his in his UFC return. Uh, did you see the the UFC has a new hour long, um, you know, one of their hype documentaries about oh, this event? Uh, I can't remember what this one was called. Bitter Rivals? No, it's a, there's a spot for, uh, it does like a 10 minute or 15 minute thing about all three of the fights that are going to be, uh, highlighted on this, this event. But it, like, it has a, uh, like a candid conversation between John Jones and Alexander Gustafson in the lobby of wherever they were to do the hashtag the time is now, uh, press conference where John Jones is asking him about Anthony Johnson. And John Jones says, like, basically he says, I don't think he'll have anything for you. Like, I don't think, uh, he, I just think you're too, uh, you have too diverse of a skill set for him. And I think if you, come into this fight in good shape like basically he'll have nothing for you which i thought was an interesting conversation like between these two guys that have kind of sparred in the media and had had such a, like a, a close and hard-fought fight and are probably gonna you know if, if gustafson wins probably gonna end up fighting each other again but it was just like a kind of a reminder that these dudes all know each other and that they're all you know or most of them are, are friendly to each other but also like a an interesting conversation there between or the, the champion and he's Alexander Gustafson. he's trying to mess with Gustafson's head trying to lull him into uh, under training for the fight not taking it seriously bro you got this you don't have to do anything all you got to do is show up my man you know what i'm saying go get him huh yeah, what do you no, think that could be like maybe john jones can introduce him to a guy who's got some stuff he might like you know <laughs> just in terms of taking him out of his 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 wheelhouse while he's getting prepared for this fight uh anthony johnson actually on the same documentary was like kind of uh honest about going to sweden to fight and and like he didn't necessarily say it was going to be a problem for him but he was just sort of like indicated that it would be a big deal for him to beat alexander gustafson in his hometown which i think if you read between the lines of that like kind of says like maybe the deck is stacked against me here in in, in how this is all going to play out well i will say this for the swedish I mean, why fans not miami ben why not miami <laughs> you know because you can't get thirty thousand damn people to show up to a fight in miami that's true uh, there's other stuff going on yeah. it's not stockholm in january that's right yeah they got plenty of that candy cane down in miami from what i hear uh the I'll say this for the Swedish fans. While they will hardcore get behind their guy, they are not ones to get behind their guy in the form of getting against the other guy. That was actually surprising to me when I went there to watch the fight was you know, you watched the win and it had a the that one had a lot of those fights where it was like an American or Canadian, like vague North American versus a Swedish guy or like a Finnish guy or something like that. And you expect to hear the boos for the other guy, even if they don't know who he is, just because they know he's not their guy. Like, you know, in Brazil, they'd be telling that dude that he is going to die, like his death is imminent. Uh, and in Sweden, it's like polite applause. Like, they're not going to, like, you know, really vocalize, uh, you know, any enthusiasm for the guy, but they're not going to be jerks. They're going to clap for him because, you know, he's a performer. He's an athlete. The only person they didn't do that for, the only person that there was even a smattering of boos for was Thiago Silva against Alexander Gustafsson. And I thought like, okay, well, for the, for their, their main guy, then they're, that's when they're going to dredge up some anger. Then when I talked to some of them about it, they were like, well, you know why that is, right? Because Thiago Silva got caught using drugs, like he got caught using PED or like turning in fake urine, basically. Like that's why we don't like him. Like that's why we think he's a bad guy. And it's like, okay, so the Swedes maybe have like, oh, I'm gonna say maybe a better way of approaching uh, fight fandom. So you're saying that they're taking like a very European approach, and also that perhaps the Swedes have a natural respect for sport. 
Yes, unless they think you're a cheater. Well, I think and that, would, that, would, you. that would play into like a pure respect for sport. Uh, that's not going to give them, get them a fight night with Conor McGregor in the main event, though. That's probably We're going to need people to be drunk and throwing glow sticks if we're going to have <laughs> the biggest star in the UFC show up. The odds on this one, I think, a little, have you looked at the odds for this fight? I have not. Tell me right now what, what you think the odds are. I would think Alexander Gustafson is a slight favorite. I would say minus 150, and uh, Anthony Johnson is plus 175. Right now, what I'm looking at, I'm seeing around Alexander Gustafson minus 250, Anthony Johnson plus 210. Wow. Well, that's a little bit more lobsided than That's than a I, Stockholm bump, my man. Than I, than I thought it would be. I, clearly, I'm not an odds maker, but like, yeah, it seems weird to totally discount Anthony Johnson, given how impressive he's been since his return. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess that's not discounting him, but well, I guess fairly long odds. When, you, when you think about it, like, uh, and Anthony Johnson did look really good against like Phil Davis and stuff. And you think like, okay, he hits hard. He can stop the takedown. Uh, and he's got pretty good size, but then Gustafson comes in bigger guy, you know, maybe better boxing can take a shot from what we've seen and, you know, doesn't necessarily need to take you down, but Hey, this dude took down John Jones. Right. So, uh, if he has to, he can do that too. He does have a pretty good range of skills, plus you know, fighting in front of his his home country. I, I guess I can kind of see it now. It does seem like a little bit too heavy uh, in Gustafson's favorite, but uh, it does seem like he should be the guy to, to beat here, right? Did you remember that Dan Henderson is fighting Sweet and Sassy? That's on That's right, card? the young vagabond. Man, that was that was a news flash to me when I watched this UFC kind of hour-long the documentary. Yeah. Phil Davis against Ryan Bader, too. Uh, you know, the only thing is, and I actually think it's a it's a pretty good main card uh, for Fox. I mean, Akira Corsani versus Sam Cecilia. There's one that's going to be you know kind of an action fight. At least they're hoping for to kick off the broadcast. And then you got Phil Davis and, and Ryan Bader uh, going to wrestle off. You know, basically see like who who is the lesser. Uh, you know, placeholder in the division uh, between the two of them. Then Dan Henderson's going to try and find a fountain of youth against Sweet and Sassy, the young vagabond, and then the big, big time. I mean, that's a pretty good main card, except then you look at the, the prelim card on Fox Sports 1, and that could be a long slog for a lot of people, for those of us who have to write uh, recaps of it. Hmm, yeah, I'm probably watching that largely on fast forward the next day. Uh, let's go ahead and do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, I'm sure you noticed this. Uh, those of us watching the Fox Sports 1 broadcast here in America all notice it. There's a moment where Conor McGregor and Dennis Seaver are doing their, their pre-fight instruction thing. Yeah. And Conor McGregor is switching all his karate kata poses and stuff. Right, yeah. uh, Getting ready to hit them makiwara boards. There you go. Uh, and then when uh, they're instructed to, uh, to touch him up. Yeah. Uh, by Herb Dean, Conor McGregor extends his fist. Dennis Seaver declines to participate in that gesture. And Conor McGregor extends his hand, and then we get a yeah. generic shot of the cage, like the chain link fencing yeah. on the cage. I had no idea what was going on yeah. there. Just weird. I have, if only there was some way for me to find out what had happened. No, I'm just saying, Chad, that for one thing, it is stupid that on late night cable television, where you can now say all sorts of stuff, see all sorts of stuff. You can watch a man's eyebrow being turned into two separate eyebrows. You can see into his damn skull. We can see all this violence and blood and all that kind of stuff. And a guy extending his middle finger, that is where we're going to say, no, no, the American viewing public is not ready for this. Uh, I'm just saying that's stupid. I'm also just saying if we are going to cut away from these these sensitive moments during an MMA broadcast, can't we come up with something better to cut to than just that stupid generic shot of the chain link fence? We could cut to anything. Like we could cut to a cartoon image of like a like a bunny rabbit holding up a sign that says "Oops." Like something adorable like that. You know, we, anything, Chad. We could do anything we want there and we choose the chain link fence. Just saying, that doesn't make any sense. Just saying. Do you think that McGregor had Dennis Seaver wanted to touch gloves with him, do you think he would have done the too slow and then flipped him off anyway? Or you think that he flipped him off? No, I think that's part of Conor McGregor's deal, right? Is that he's going to like talk a bunch of shit about you before the fight, but then he's going to like make this like gesture of sportsmanship. And then he's going to like be genuinely uh, kind to you after he's beaten you up. Like he's going to, he's, he's going to be friendly then and then just be a dick to the people he hasn't beaten up yet. And also apparently get drunk at the post-fight presser, which is awesome. <laughs> 
Ben, the UFC announced over the weekend that it has fined John Jones $25,000 for it's his a lot of candy cane. Quote, of, quote unquote out of competition positive test for cocaine leading up to UFC 182 where we all know he fought uh, Daniel Cormier. I guess if you're going to have an athlete code of conduct, then you got to do something to punish your biggest star when when he tests positive for that candy cane. But I think that we also need to point out that Jones made a reported half million dollars for the Cormier fight. So I'm just saying that finding that guy 25 G's is sort of like when I use my daughter's full name to scold her. She knows that she's done something wrong. It gets her attention, but it's not like it's going to ruin her whole day. You know, and and whether or not she stops the offensive behavior, probably 50-50. I'm just saying. Can I, can I hear what it sounds like? Beatrice Dundas. That's her full name? What's yeah. Her, didn't have a middle name? She does have a middle name, but I don't go middle name unless... The oh, state, that's your that's unless a nuclear state option? I. Okay, yeah. yeah. You want to leave yourself somewhere to go from there, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's, All right. there's levels to this. Okay, I understand. Well, that's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week to break down everything that happened at UFC on Fox from Stockholm, Sweden, and then look ahead, I guess, to, uh, what is it, UFC 183 with Anderson Silva versus uh, Nick Diaz? And maybe we'll sing that creepy Itsy Bitsy Spider song. I doubt that very much. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know, now that I've heard it, I think I can spot your problem why it's not stopping the behavior more than 50% of the time. You sound like a pussy. Oh. You, you, you sound like you just, you're, you're begging me to, to, to flaunt your, your purported authority. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. It's weird because about half the time it would make a two-year-old girl just fall to pieces.